Today's reading is uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Ron. Good morning. I just want to reiterate, I'm John, one of the pastors. I want to reiterate everything Mike said. I was just chuckling back there because there's, you know, reams of books and conferences for people who do what I do on, like, how to grow a church. And we're doing, like, the exact opposite. You just cover the giving boxes. You put caution tape across all the doors and (laughs) make it an obstacle course to get in here. And so whatever. It's God's church. A lot of those books are garbage anyway. So, you know, we're just, uh, thank you for being here. Super grateful. It's got like a, if you look around, it's got like a, like a CSI crime scene vibe, kind of like, which is not conducive to worship, I guess. I don't know what we're doing. But anyway, thank you. We, we're grateful to be able to, to do this, this project. What, uh, what do we say when we pray? Yeah, a, I mean, this is a super basic question. I think when we, at least me, I can only speak for me, but when I pray, even walking with Jesus for a long time, I'm like, sometimes like, what am I doing here? What, 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 what do I say? Jesus said that we have to be like little children. I think that's a very provocative statement. We can learn so much about what it's like to inhabit the kingdom of God by watching little children. Years ago, this, uh, a set of books, I think, came out uh, called uh, Prayers from Children or something like that. So I always thought they were really humorous, and I, I wanted to share a few of them with you. Is that all right? It's not really your choice, but just wanted to ask. Uh, <laughs> Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. (laughs) Dear God, I went to this wedding, and they were kissing right there in church. Is that okay? So, oh. Uh, I resonate with this one. Dear God, I love Christmas and Easter. Could you please put another holiday in the middle? There's nothing good there now. A little, de- a little dead space there in the calendar. Uh, dear God, is it true my father won't get into heaven if he uses his golf words in the house? <laughs> uh, dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they each had their own rooms. It works out okay with me and my brother. Dear God, I, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday night. That was really cool. Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you have? (laughs) Sightful. Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I grow up, but without so much hair all over. (laughs) And then finally, uh, dear God, we read Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school they said, you did it. I bet he stole your idea. Uh, my daughter, uh, Jubilee, she's, she's almost, our daughter, Jubilee, she's almost 13. And when she was four, uh, she started kind of praying around the table. And we're, I mean, we don't, we're, we're new parents. We're trying to cultivate prayer life in our kids. And 
So like, this is awesome. So she, she would always bring a bunch of stuffed animals to set them up for dinner. And so she would be like, let's pray. And her eyes would be wide open. She's just kind of staring at everybody. And then she would proceed over a very long time to thank God for every single thing she set her eyes on. I mean, every single thing. So she'd pray through each of the food. God, thank you for mommy's chicken. And for, thank you for the potatoes. Thank you for the, the peas. And then she'd crinkle her nose, kind of disgusted, but still thank God for them. And then she'd just keep going and going and going. And she would name each stuffed animal and start to name appliances around. <laughs> and so, like, it was a quadri, right? Because you don't want to cut your kid off from praying. But, like, sometimes she would pause to take a breath. And I'd be like, amen. And then she'd look at me really disappointed and just keep barreling through. Uh, when we pray, what do we say? Like, what are we doing? Right, what are we doing with, with prayer? What's going on? We're in the middle of a prayer series, and if you've noticed, we're kind of we're doing little series in between the series, kind of going at different aspects of prayer, and I'm going to uh, launch a new little aspect this week. I'll have the other side of the message next week where we'll talk about unanswered prayer, but um, we're looking at Jesus' prayers. If anybody, if anybody could show us how to pray and what to say, it would be Jesus, and we're going to start with uh, what's known as the Lord's Prayer, the most popular, the most recited, the most memorized piece of Scripture. If you're someone that doesn't follow Jesus or you're not a church person, you don't know the Bible, we're so glad you're here, and, but even you, I bet you would know some of these words. They're just woven in the vernacular of our culture in deep and significant ways, and certainly if you're a follower of Jesus, you know a lot of these words. I think that we, we make a, a mistake when we apply the question I started with, what do we say when we pray to the Lord's Prayer as an answer? You can disagree with me, but I think that's a, a big mistake that we make in that we begin to recite the Lord's Prayer like it's some kind of magical formula that we got to get the words exactly right. Now, I'm going to encourage you to memorize and pray the Lord's Prayer today, uh, but not so you can get the words perfectly right. Here, I'll just lay my cards on the table for the message right at the beginning. I think that God cares way more about our hearts and the state of our hearts when we pray than the right words. Not that words don't matter. They do. They matter. But I think he cares about our hearts more. And so I think what's going on with the Lord's Prayer, I'll keep repeating this statement again. Feel free to disagree, but this is kind of where I landed in my study. I think the Lord's Prayer puts us in our place. I think when we pray it, it properly positions our hearts to pray correctly. So we're going to get into that, and I'll just keep coming, coming back to that point. Try it on for size. Think it through. You have free will. You could do what you want with the message. Uh, but I, I feel pretty good about it. I think that's what's going on with it. Uh, we're going we're gonna to walk through the Lord's Prayer. I've done a whole series on the Lord's Prayer. There's so much here. So it was difficult to get down to one message. So we're going to stay at a pretty high level. And the way the prayer is constructed, there's a two-word introduction. So we'll take a brief look at that. And then there's six requests or petitions. The first three, if you noticed, and, and it's good to have your Bibles open or have it up on your phone so you can kind of reflect back and engage with it yourself. Uh, the first three petitions have to do with God's character and kingdom. The second three have to do with how we live into God's character and kingdom. It's an important nuance, and we'll get into that as we break it down. So let's start with the first uh, two words, uh, our Father. 
our Father. Uh, our Catholic brothers and sisters would call this prayer the Our Father. That's what they would call it. In the Greek language, of which in the New Testament is written, the first word in the Greek text is actually Father. So it starts there. And you're smart people, uh, but that can be a problematic thing, can it not? And we're going to talk about that. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God was referred to by many different names in the Hebrew, many different metaphors to describe God. And Father was certainly one of them. But that uh, really ramps up in the New Testament, especially with Jesus. It was his go-to name for God. Over 170 times, Jesus prays out and refers to God as my Father. But here's an interesting nuance. This is getting a little nerdy, but I think it's important. Uh, Jesus spoke Aramaic. It was the common street language, if you will. So when the Bible was written, they, they took stories of Jesus speaking and notes they had taken, however that worked through the power of the Holy Spirit and wrote the New Testament in Greek. And now we're, many of it, most of us are reading it in English. So it's very rare to find an Aramaic word in the Greek text. Are you following me? But the main one we find is this one. It's translated often in your English translations. Most of them is Abba. That's an actual Aramaic word that should pop out so the writers in the New Testament kept that in there because it was that important to them. And I think that important to their prayer life, that transformative to their prayer life. Remember this whole series, we're talking about how to move from transactional prayer to transformative prayer. So Jesus is like, you know, his disciples were just like us. They were a bunch of teenage boys trying to figure it out. And, and they pray. They were good Hebrew kids. They knew the prayers. They would pray them regularly in the synagogue and in the temple but then they see Jesus, their master, and his prayer life is electric. And he's just connecting with God like they've never seen before. So they ask him, teach us to pray. <laughs> we want some of that. We want some of that. And he says, okay, this is how you should pray. Again, not word for word. You got to watch it. This is the posture. This is how you should pray. This is how you should position yourself before God to pray. So he begins with our father. Uh, or, or, or daddy. A lot, of, a lot of scholars think it had a very intimate uh, semantic range, a depth to it. It was more than just father. <laughs> it was daddy, daddy. And so it's problematic though, right? Especially for, for our sisters in the room where the church is often been patriarchal and often ostracized you because of your gender. I, I can say that. And so is it, John, isn't this just reinforcing that? And I think that that's, a great question. The Bible, we say this a lot, the Bible wasn't, it was written to us, um, it wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. It was not written to us. We weren't the audience, but it is for us. So to understand what it has for us, we have to understand what would they have heard. In the Greco-Roman world, the whole entire culture was organized around households. And so a household could be up to 60 people. And at the head of a household was a male. It was a patriarchal society. And this male had a name, it was named Paterfamilius kind of the head, the eldest father. And the, the name of the potter from us is honor, shame, culture. So you wanted somebody with high honor and esteem. And that, the role of the potter familiar was he had all legal rights for the entire family. They all identified with his name and his reputation. And his chief goal was to keep everybody alive <laughs> and flourishing. His chief goal was to provide for and to protect. And that's what they would have heard. That your God... <laughs> The one that you pray to provides for you and protects you and just wants to do everything to have you 
flourish and be fully human. And yet this isn't a distant, hierarchical potter familiar. This is your daddy. That's the idea. That's the heart of what I think they would have heard. But still, John, <laughs> this is hard, right? I, I hear it, and I'm, and I, and I'm honoring what, 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 what you must be feeling, my sisters, and even some of my brothers. Uh, so I think the two primary limitations is when we hear our Father and we're told this is how you should pray, we think that means God is male. Here's the deal. God is our Father, and yet God is not a man. I know that's hard for us, right? God is our Father, but God is not a man. They're, they're separate. God, here's a big revelation. You don't have to go to seminary. To, God doesn't have gender. Do we know this? <laughs> we know this. No gender. God's spirit. And there's many instances in the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament of God being a mother as well. So I just say it this way. God is our father and so much more. And so much more. So I think, you know, I know that doesn't put away all the issues that somebody might have. I don't mean just wipe them away. But I want you to get to the heart. If, it, if it's easier for you to just pray, um, you know, our protector and provider, great. Don't get hung up with the language. That's the heart of it. Here's the second limitation, and it grieves me if this is you. And I, and I, want, I want you to know that. I'm not just, it's not a throwaway line. Many of you did not have a father like you deserve. And some of you were abused by your father. And that's horrible and evil, and it's not your fault. And so when you get brought into this prayer and you're like, our Father, you're like, whoa, whoa. And here's what I want to say to you tenderly as your pastor. Deep within all of us, I think from the Imago Dei is this longing for a mom and a longing for a dad that we deserve. And that's in you, even though you have not yet experienced that. And I'm so sorry. But God offers to step into that. Even those of us, I I have a remarkable father, but even those of us who had that, there's so much more than even that because my father's broken and I'm broken to my girls. So step into that deep longing, have it found in God. So I think, you know, our father, it's not my father, it's our father, also brings us in this collectivism, this community sense. I think one of the greatest dangers to our modern culture and our church is individualism. I mean, there's, you know, I'm, I'm by myself, I'm autonomous, I decide everything, I'm a free agent. The New Testament writers, the disciples, Jesus, they would, they would have been like, what? <laughs> what? There's, there's, there's no singular in the New Testament, it's all plural, just all plural, it's just everywhere is community. And one of the beauties of being in Jesus is having siblings in Jesus and families. So I'm going to challenge you to recite the Lord's Prayer, and a lot of times it may be by yourself. I hope increasingly it will be with others. I think that that's beautiful. But even if you're doing it alone, when you say our Father, our Father, you're bringing in all the saints of old that have passed before us and all the ones that are coming and all the new hopers and all the friends you know who follow Jesus. You're praying as a communion with them. I think that that is beautiful. The Lord's Prayer puts us in in our place. It positions our heart to pray properly. The first two words do that. We're just getting going. It puts us in our place. So let's get into the actual request, and we'll fly it through these pretty, pretty quickly. So remember, the first three have to do with the character and the kingdom of God. Hallowed be your name. Some, some translations may have different words. It's a weird word, hallowed. Those of us who have, who have memorized it, we say it, I'm like, what does that mean? The word, the root of that word is, is holy. And the word holy in Scripture means to be set apart Holy, uh, God is holy, but holiness is not one of God's attributes or even emotions. 
Holiness is uh, the sum total of who God is. So because God is who God is and all of God's attributes and emotions, God is totally other, totally separate. So yes, God is our daddy in an intimate way. Come on up and sit on my lap. I want to hold you. You're loved. You're my beloved. And God is also the holy God that should evoke awe in us. There should be some of that going on as well. And those aren't against each other. We have to find a way to, to mingle them together. There's times in Scripture where the fabric of time and space gets pulled back. And kind of the curtain gets pulled back. We get a little glimpse of what's going on in other realms. Isaiah 6 is one of those. And Isaiah is praying. And he sees God and he just goes down. and He sees these, these seraphim, these crazy creatures. And they're just around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 24-7. That's going on right now. And then going all the way to the end, we have John, the revelator. John gets this glimpse. It's pulled back in the same throne room scene. And now he sees these myriad of angels around the throne room saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. When we say, hallowed be thy name, it should put us in our place. We should be like, sometimes, I'm, I'm confessing, sometimes I get really cavalier. My mind's wandering. I'm not paying attention. I'm not... Oh, right? Oh, one of the, the most frequented commands in Scripture and encouragements in Scripture is to fear the Lord. That's not like God's our boogeyman. That's not that kind of fear. The word John Walton, he's an Old Testament scholar, said it is uh, to take God seriously. To take God seriously. When we pray, are we taking God seriously? Is there kind of an awe in us? Sometimes when I'm praying, I walk our dogs a lot. And I pray a lot walking the dogs, and I I sense an unsettledness in me. I sense I'm not positioning my heart correctly. So sometimes I just begin reciting as I walk, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. I'll probably look like a crazy person walking through the neighborhood mumbling those things. But it, take it, maybe that's weird for you, but it really helps me. It works for me. And I begin to transcend my time and place to this other realm where I'm connecting with the holy God who's also my daddy. Our daddy, the Lord's prayer, puts us in our place. So the second line, your kingdom come, your will be done. We go back to it, it says our father in heaven. So it represents this idea of heaven is where God resides. So there's two primary uses of heaven in scripture. One is like uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, right? Just the skies up there. And the other is this metaphysical realm, metaphysical meaning beyond our senses, where God resides and God reigns, and that's the one that Jesus is evoking here. Jesus' primary message from beginning to end is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, that's Matthew's term, has come near, has come near. And he's not saying the sky's falling on your head, right? He's not saying that. He's like this metaphysical realm, right, that we're somewhat aware of, this beyond our senses where God reigns is coming near, and we're to pray for it to come. Uh, the kingdom of heaven has, has been described as a place where, um, where God's will is done without question or qualification. I like that. Or Dallas Willard, the great Christian philosopher, says that, that God's will uh, is, is, is the kingdom of heaven is present wherever what God wants done is done. I like that. That's how it, that's how it works in the kingdom of heaven that we're to be living into right now, by the way, that we're praying ourselves into. 
Uh, I've used these, these uh, graphs before that, that some, somewhat helpful, I don't know. Uh, heaven and earth, right? These two realms in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, that's what the writers are they were together. You couldn't bifurcate them. And then sin came, right? We choose to go our own way. So they're separated because a holy God can't exist in the midst of a sinful world. And yet that broke a loving God's heart. So that becomes the narrative of the Bible. How do we pull the two back together so heaven becomes a place on earth? Again, Belinda Carlisle um, reference there. Uh, earth, if you know in Jesus' temptation... Satan is positioned as the one who is ruling over the earth. So Satan's like, hey, I'll give you this Jesus if you bow down. And that's what's going on in that passage. And so when Jesus comes, right, he's like, hello, the kingdom of heaven has now invaded earth. So we have the Venn diagram where they're crossing over. And the cross is the place, the death and resurrection of Jesus, where it's inaugurated and launched And we're in the midst of that. So we live in that crossover. That's the tension you feel as a follower of Jesus. Ah, why am I so broken? (laughs) Why is the world so broken? It's just like, but I I have a longing for this other. That's, that's, That's where we're living right now. One day, one day we're promised the two will come back together. Right? And that's what we live in expectation. And as the church, the body of Christ, that's what we're to be living into and praying into in real time. That's the heart of what Jesus is saying here. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You cannot separate the two things. Next week in the, in the you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, what do we do with unanswered prayer? <laughs> I got a ton of them. What do we do with that? We're going to look at Jesus' Garden of Gethsemane prayer. We, do you remember what he prayed? For those of you who know that prayer, he, he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but not what? My will, but your will be done. So Jesus lived it out in real time, and we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, the Lord's Prayer puts us in our place. Puts us in, if we really believe this, that we have a new king, and even though we're on earth right now, we are part of a new kingdom right now with a new king then it clarifies a lot of things. And we're less apt to sell our soul to lesser allegiances like, for say, political parties. I don't know. Just throwing that off the top of my head. <laughs> Here's the deal. You know, there's going to be Republicans and Democrats and those crazy independents all in the kingdom of God. They are right now. Deal with it. Deal with it. And I see a frightening, a frightening metamorphosis of, of followers of Jesus selling their soul to lesser things. I'm not saying don't care about politics or don't vote or don't have things you do that. But we are called to something so much higher. You see that? Do you understand that? Know this. I'm going to keep saying this as we get closer to the, to the election because you nod now and then, you know, in like eight months, you're going to be like, Argh! like, <laughs> right? It's, I have a friend that says, you know, we're not, we're not, uh, you know, uh, the, the team, you know, elephant or team donkey or team lamb. And I like that. I like that. And I'm not trying to be trite and dismiss the tensions. I know there's tensions there. But I really think one of the answers moving forward for the church is to pray this prayer and believe it. Right? The Lord's prayer here puts us in our place. Our allegiance is to another kingdom, another place that supersedes and surpasses all of those earthly stupid stuff we get involved in and break our relationships over. It's just ridiculous. 
John Wesley, he started uh, the Methodist movement, and uh, he wrote a bunch of hymns and a pretty great man of God, and he wrote this prayer that he would pray for his family and his church every New Year's, and then Methodists across the globe pray this. So I've started praying it myself, but I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I pray it with like fear and trembling. <laughs> Let me share with you. You'll see why. <laughs> but my will be done. What does that look like? Uh, Wesley prays, I'm no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, and so be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Woo! It's not for the faint of heart. But that's what we're praying into. The Lord's Prayer puts us in our place. It allows us to be able to eventually pray that prayer, which really is a prayer of freedom. It really is, with gusto and meaning. So let's look at the second half. So now how do we, these requests have to deal with how do we as apprentices of Jesus live into God's character and kingdom. Give us our daily bread. A couple months ago, if you were around, I preached a message on Acts 27, the shipwreck scene, and Paul throws this feast on the deck. Some of you may remember it. You probably don't. Nobody remembers sermons. I get it. But in that, I, I got ex- really excited because as I was studying, I discovered like the bread hyperlink is what I call it. And that meaning that when Paul uses the word bread there, that's a hyperlink to this profound metaphor that goes all throughout Scripture. This idea, you know, the, 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 the Israelites are rushing out with the Egyptians on their, on their heels. They don't have time for the bread to leaven, so now they have this feast of the unleavened bread, which becomes Passover. Bread becomes a huge metaphor. And then in the desert for 40 years, God feeds them from bread daily. And that makes its way in the Lord's Prayer, daily from the skies. You go into the New Testament, Jesus is tempted. The tempter tempts Jesus with, I bet you can guess, bread. (laughs) And Jesus is like, I don't want your bread. Like, I got way better bread than that. And then it just keeps on going and going on. Jesus feeds the masses that are hungry with bread. And, you know, at the Last Supper, Jesus says, I am the bread. And take this and eat. And then after the resurrection, the the disciples on the road to Emmaus don't recognize him until he breaks the you guys are sharp. You're following along, right? Bread's always the answer. You know, usually Jesus is the answer. Bread is the answer in this little movement. So, like, invest that idea and that hyperlink into this prayer. I mean, you're not praying that, you know, God, help me get up and go down to my neighborhood bakery in the morning. You know, like, it's not, it's not the so much more, so much more. God, you are my provision. You... You're like all I need. That's what what King David said. Like, you're my shepherd. I lack nothing. Paul says, in you I live and move and have my being. That's what's at the heart of this prayer. You are my daily. Just give me enough for today, God. Sometimes I barely think I have enough to get through the day. (laughs) Just enough for today. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. Too much today. Just give me enough today. But if you're like me, and I think most of you are, we we start to find our, our bread in other things, lesser things right, a career or a relationship or a hobby or pursuit or ways we numb ourselves or ways we entertain ourselves or certain accolades or what people think of us. Not all those things are inherently wrong or evil, but if they replace Jesus as the bread, they are. They are. 
So when we pray this, it puts us in our place. It reminds us who our bread is and who is our source of hope and strength and sustenance. I mean, you go into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, I always see Jesus laughing, and they, they do this to the chosen really well, I think, if you see that. I think he's lighthearted. I don't think he's condemning when he's saying these things, but he's like, he's like, why do you worry? He's like, why do you worry? What's going on? You know, you, why do you worry about what you wear, really? Why do you worry about what you eat? I just fed 15,000 of you. Seek first my kingdom, and then you'll have everything. Right? I mean, that's, you know, this kind of stuff weaves together. All right, all we go. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, we live in a world where everyone is broken. If you don't think that applies to you, you're more broken than everyone else. <laughs> We're all a hot mess. And if you're going to do any kind of life in relationship with other people, you will wound them and hurt them. You will have to say you're sorry about 100 times a day and live with grace and forgiveness, especially in the kingdom of God. That is the rule of the kingdom of God. Uh, I, some, some other author once wrote, so far today, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, or overindulgent. I haven't told anyone to mind their own business or stay out of mine. I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed, and then I'm going to need a lot of help. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, that's, that's totally me, right? We got to figure out the forgiveness thing, right? Like, we can't flourish as human if we, if we don't. This is a principle of the kingdom, and I don't think it's a principle of the world, really. It's a principle of the kingdom. People get tripped up on the language here, and so they, they sometimes hear, if I don't forgive Stephen because of how he hurt me, and you'd never do that, Stephen, but let's say you did, then I'm, I'm not, Jesus doesn't cover my sins anymore, right? We read that into, that's not what it's saying. This prayer is for people who are in the kingdom. They're, they're part of the DR already. That's not gonna get yanked. We know scripture says that. That's God's grace that we're saved. But I think it's talking about our experience of grace and forgiveness. And as inhabitants of the kingdom, if we go out and we've been forgiven everything, and then we fail to forgive someone else, like, that's going to harm us. We're going we're gonna, to, like, we're not going to flourish as human beings. Jesus gave that, that crazy parable about the dude that owed millions to the king, and the king forgives him, and he's like, woo, you know, lottery day. And then he goes out immediately and finds a dude that owes him two bucks and strangles him and puts him in prison. <laughs> and we're just like, oh, that's gross. And then that's us. It's us. Paul says to the Ephesian church, you know, we should forgive one another as we have been forgiven. The rules of the kingdom of the world is, you know, everybody just look out for themselves and you keep a a balance sheet of what people owe you. And and that's the way you do life. Jesus says, you rip that thing up. (laughs) You rip it up. If you want to live into my kingdom now, you'll be people because you have been forgiven everything that will just let stuff go. Not ignore it, but let it go. And you don't let it get entrenched in your heart because that ends up taking you down. That's really the thing of forgiveness, isn't it? It hurts the person that fails to forgive more than anybody else. So this is just the principle of kingdom. It's just like, remember this. Like, if you want to live into my kingdom, right, forgive. Be people marked by forgiveness. It will be so good for you. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us uh, from evil. We got to kind of look at these things together. Lead us not into temptation, or that can be translated testing, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm pretty convinced it's evil one, not evil. 
doesn't matter at the end of the day, but I think that's the way the language is best read. Evil one, there's this personification of evil. It is, this prayer request is not saying God don't tempt us because James tells us God will not tempt you. God's not trying to mess with you and get you to sin and test you and see if you will. That's a really inadequate view of God. So what is this saying? Because it's tricky language. It's kind of weird language. And I think we just, we go into context to the end of Matthew, to the passage we'll be in next week, little teaser. And so Jesus is preparing for the act <laughs> that will be horrific for him and and we'll save the world. And, and he's wrestling with that as, as, as the divine human. And he needs help. He needs his boys to be praying with him and his ladies who are all there in the garden. And they're like, you know. And he's just like, what is going on here? And so he tells them to watch and pray so they will not fall into, here's the word, temptation. That's our link. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think that's what it's saying. Just acknowledge, you pray this, acknowledge you're not that strong. Just acknowledge that, you know, if you were placed in the wilderness with the evil one for 40 days, you get destroyed. I'd get destroyed, right? And the evil one's out there. So God help us is what I think it's going to say. The NLT translation, I like it. I think it's, it's cleaner. It says, let us, uh, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. I like Eugene Peterson even more. He keeps it really simple. He says, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. I like that. That's what it's saying. Just like, I'm a train wreck here if I'm left alone, God. Keep us safe. The Lord's Prayer puts us in our place. If we have a heavenly realm, and we do, where God's will is unquestioned and unqualified, we certainly have a realm of evil that's prevalent in this world. And I think as followers of Jesus, we know that, but that troubles me as I see this increasingly being talked about that there's no real evil out there. I'm just like, oh boy, oh boy. And so this prayer puts us in our place. We acknowledge also the kingdom of heaven that is coming, but also the kingdom of evil, and they're doing this. And we're right there. We're right there. And we got to be aware of it. we got to pray into it. Not fearful of it, but aware of it. Hyper alert is what Jesus wants us. One of my favorite books about this topic, and we'll do a whole series about the supernatural realm one time. I think there's a lot of interest there. But if you want a, a little... A little uh, head start, read the screw tape letters. I don't know how many of you have read that by C.S. Lewis. I read it as a kid. I want to go back and read it. Uh, I think it's marvelous. In it, it's a fictional book, and there's a, a senior demon named Screwtape, and he's, he's mentoring the younger demon, uh, Wormwood. So here's a little taste of it. He says, uh, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is uh, to disbelieve in their existence, and I see that, and that scares me. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail either a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Just be all caught up in it or say they don't exist. Both are ditches you don't want to get into. Go into the world as followers of Jesus and be aware that there is this titanic battle of good and evil going on in and around us in, in ways that we can't see and be hypervigilant about it. Don't be scared about it, but be aware of it. I think that's the balance. In another section, he says, my dear Wormwood, I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient, and the patient could be any of us, in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights. 
and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, therefore he cannot believe in you. The Lord's Prayer puts us in our place. And I think this last request is, God, we need you so much in this world. We just, we cannot, we cannot do it without you. Please don't leave us. And Jesus, in his, some of his last words to his disciples said, Lord, I'm with you always, always, even until the end of the age. And the age is the, the term for when heaven and earth come back together. I'm, I'm with you the whole way. We're going to do this. We're doing this together. There's this, uh, there's this poem. This one of my favorite. It's some of you, who are, I, I love, I read poetry all the time. So it's, it's not like super intricate poetry. I get this is kind of like Christian poetry, but it's got a soft place in my heart. It's called uh, Footsteps in the Sand. Are you familiar with that? It's like on people's walls. And so some of us are just like, oh, that's cheesy. And uh, as I get older, I'm less cynical about those things. And I thought about this uh, the other day, and I kind of r- r- went back and kind of thought through that poem. And if you're unfamiliar with it, it's basically a guy who has a dream, and he sees, you know, two sets of footprints in the sand. He's like, God's with me the whole way. And then he's alarmed and aghast because he sees at each point of his life that it was the hardest. It was the, the deepest amounts of suffering and anguish and loss. There was one set of footprints. And then kind of the, you know, the big reveal at the end is God's like, that's because I was carrying you. And I think that, you know, we could say, oh, that's kind of cheesy for kids. We better become like little kids to enter the kingdom. And there's that reality. Some of you need to hear that today. When you're in a dark place and a hard place, I think God just kind of, this is how I picture, kind of throws me over his shoulder. I, I got you for a while. You know, I got you. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, I think that's kind of the heart of where this prayer ends, and, and that's, we're put in our place. I have a, a friend, John, who's kind of a mentor, and he, uh, he's a bit older, and he just went through some really hellish, terrible things and ministry and life, and he emerged from it with a deeper faith, and um, he's kind of started this community called Fellowship of the Withered Hand, and I'm part of it. It's kind of a ragtag community, and um, I love it, and there's a lot of people that are broken like me, and he, uh, he, he got that from the story of Jesus healing the man with the withered hand. If you don't know that story, it's just a guy that had a, a withered hand is how the scripture, and he wanted to be here. Jesus wanted to heal him. Jesus asked him to do the one thing he couldn't do. He's like, reach out your hand. Now, we could read that like Jesus is mocking the guy. Like, that's mean. <laughs> but Jesus, I see such tenderness. He leans down to this man's face. He asked him to do that because he wants him to see that his only hope is Jesus. And that's the fellowship of the withered hand. Uh, John has this prayer that he prays. Um, I can't, but God, you can. I think I'm going to let you. I can't tell you how often that prayer has been on my lips uh, over the last couple months. I can't, but you can. I think I'm going to let you. The doxology was not part of the earliest versions of Mark's gospel. For yours is the kingdom and the power of the glory. And that's okay. <laughs> What happened was the, the followers of Jesus, the early followers, we know this from their documents, they were praying the Lord's Prayer all the time in their gatherings, publicly. But it was very rare for a person that had a Jewish heritage to pray a prayer and not have a doxology. They would just attach a doxology. And they attached the one from 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12. And it just kind of worked its way into the text after time. And here's that passage. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. And yours, Lord, is the kingdom. And you 
are exalted as head over all. The Lord's Prayer, especially with that closing dots out, it puts us in our place. It properly positions our hearts to pray. So I want to do that right now. I just want to, in a very simple way, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table, I just want to, I want to walk us through the Lord's Prayer. And I'm just going to like say a line and give a little space. I may say a comment. Just kind of get it out there. And we prayed, we sang for the Holy Spirit to come, maybe reaffirm that. Holy Spirit, come, I'm here, I'm open. I want to hear from you. And let's just try this on for size of how this prayer, prayed with integrity and a full heart, puts us in our place and properly positions us to pray. Our Father in heaven, Some of you need need to just know you're loved. Especially if you didn't have a dad. You got a provider and a protector that you can call daddy that is safe and loves you and is for you. And that you're not alone. You got a lot, a lot of brothers and sisters that love you and are with you. Hallowed be your name. Holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Let it be unquestioned and unqualified in our lives that we do your will. On earth, as it is in heaven, in Portland, as it is in heaven and New Hope Church, as it is in heaven, fill in the blank. <laughs> in your home, around your tables, as it is in heaven, at the workplace, as it is in heaven, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, as it is in heaven. Give us today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but today, give us daily bread. Just provide, just today, God. You're enough. We don't need to hoard. You're enough. Just today, daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Thank you for how much you've forgiven me, God. For how much you'll have to continue doing that. As we have forgiven our debtors, who is someone that you're holding the balance sheet over? You're gripping to, you won't let go, you won't forgive. Let it go, forgive them. You've been forgiven. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Rescue us from ourselves and from the evil one. Don't bail, God. Alone we are sunk. We need you by our side. Sometimes we need you to carry us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. All God's people said,